LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into Ask Me Anything for today, I want to tell you about a company named Belay. You know, no matter how many people that you have on staff at your church, whether there's a few or a lot, there's only so much that you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is not just a, a business practice. It's essential. It's essential in, in being the best steward of your time that you can be and to use the most of your church's resources in being successful in the things God has called you to. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this really well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. You, you thought, you know, I, I need somebody, but just not, not, not for the whole time. Well, they're your partner for this. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash Lifeway for your free download. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I'm Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer, and this is the podcast where we ask really honest questions, and J.D. gives us quick but remarkably deep and helpful answers. So, J.D., <laughs> we... we to raise the expectations there. Yeah, yeah there. exactly. J.D., uh, so we actually just started a new... I, I prefer you say J.D. stumbles out an answer that occasionally is coherent. Then I got nowhere to go but up. That's a... Yeah, that's a good point. Let's start with there. Let's let's redo the whole thing. Stumbles stumbles out with an answer. Is stumbles that the, out with okay. an answer that is occasionally coherent. There you go. So, um, JD, we actually just launched a new sermon series at Summit in the Book of Daniel, and and one of the things that you you kind of touched on, and it's interesting because I hear this a lot um, from Christians now talking about post Christian culture and almost celebrating it like it's like it's a really good thing for the church. This mm. this post Christian cultural moment that we're in. And so my question to you is, is, is that actually a good thing? And, and what is the right way for us to relate to that culture? Okay, so let's just be clear. I heard two questions in there. Yep. The first question was in this kind of, you, you do hear a lot of Christians will, will almost like rejoice, like, oh, we're in a post-Christian culture, and that's just so much better for the church because we get rid of all this hypocritical cultural Christianity. Yes. And, then, and then the second question is, is, after is that a good or bad thing, what, what, what really should our attitude be toward our culture, especially exactly. as we see it changing? Yeah, on the first one, I, I'm always a little bewildered by that because I, I get it. I understand that cultural Christianity and the hypocrisy that goes with religiosity, that, that is a, that's a significant problem, and it's, a, it, it's hard to sometimes distinguish to the the world the unsaved world what a true christian is and what a false i mean all, all kinds of stuff in, in the old testament about how one of the greatest impediments to to israel's witness was the religiosity of the, of the religious people so i get where that's coming from and i certainly understand that the book of acts was written in a post-christian culture so we can certainly see how the church can can not only survive but thrive there but the part that bewilders me is is I think people that say that are usually privileged Westerners hmm. who've never really known what it's like to grow up in a truly non-Christian or hostile culture. Now, I'm not an expert here because I grew up in, in the southern part of the United States. Um, but 
I have lived overseas and I've lived overseas in, in um, places as a missionary that were, you know, the opposite of a Christian yes. culture. And um, there is so much that we just take for granted about justice, about the dignity of people, uh, how our freedoms um, I mean, some of the things we experience here, because there is at least the semblance of a Judeo-Christian um, ethic behind how we view the world and our culture, um, has given us a lot of freedoms that I just feel like we just absolutely take for granted. Um, and I, I just think only somebody that's kind of naive and foolish would say, would, would just kind of throw all that out the window. And you're like, I don't think you've ever experienced that. I mean, Rebecca McLaughlin was just here. And one of the things that she, you know, she points out is that, um, a lot of the the people who object to Christianity today um, because of like, you know, ethically we're on the wrong side. They think of the LGBTQ issue and, uh, you know, we've been on the wrong side of racist issues. She says it's it's actually their objections are rooted in Christian soil. Mm-hmm. Right? As I've heard him say that, you know, guys like Richard Dawkins and, and um, Sam Harris are atheists, but they're Christian atheists yeah. because the worldview they're using to critique Christianity comes out of that because it, it's taught a, a dignity and equality of all people. That wasn't true in the Roman Empire. They, they saw people in very clear hierarchies and they had disregard for, for types of, 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 uh, of human life. And so, uh, you know, the, 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 our whole system of justice is built on the idea that all men are created equal. I mean, that's that's unique. You know, um, uh, you know, Rebecca, one thing she says is chimpanzees and hyenas and spiders have no human rights. So why would humans have rights apart from a biblical worldview? Because humans are made in the image of God. Um, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, all those things are coming out of a Christian worldview. So I think if you and I just cavalierly say, let's just, for, you know, I, I can't wait for the post-Christian future because it's a pure church, um, it's going to be a lot more difficult for us to raise our children. I mean, Matt, the um, the loss of, of what the Bible has taught about gender, hmm. um, that is going to have devastating consequences for future generations of Americans as we see as we see that foundation erode when, you know, you're already seeing right now things like, um, you know, in the, uh, you know, where can a parent stop a child who's six years old, you know, can they, can they force a sex change surgery on them? Because, you know, little Johnny likes to put on a dress and play with dolls. Is that, is that, is, is, do we do, you know, irreparable damage to them by by saying yes pursue that because we no longer have the christian teaching that god created male and female that has devastating consequences all i want to say is is i wouldn't be so cavalier on that i would say that i'm very grateful for um the worldview the ethics the laws that have come from a christian worldview even if a lot of unfortunate cultural christians have have abused uh the name of christ and in that and, and made it difficult to show what a true christian is well it's interesting you know even just in in doing ministry i did college ministry for for a number of years and there were a lot of uh, christians who or people who grew up christian in christian culture weren't really following jesus but then even when they came to christ the background with which they grew up ended up kind of being leveraged and redeemed for their new walk with Jesus. And right. so even just the sense of like we even the the cultural Christians that kind of we talk sometimes negatively about even if they're redeemed there's a lot of like knowledge and understanding of the Bible and what Jesus wants and asks of us that can be I don't know just can be very interesting to right. to, to see leverage. Uh the other I think interesting thing here is it's almost like a it's like a an issue because of the degree we take it. I think some people are saying what's the opportunity? Right. How do we engage with the culture? 
And I think some people take that too far, and it's almost like they get obsessed with the opportunity to the point that they're just, oh, let's just get there. This is going to be even right. better. And so that kind of begs the second question that right. I asked, how should we actually posture ourselves towards the culture that we're in right now? Yeah, yeah, and I'll just say again, I worry. I mean, I don't mean to sound like a proverbial old man here, but I worry for my kids and my grandkids growing up in a society that it no longer takes for granted a lot of the core biblical foundations that's so much of how we have seen and understood justice and life and dignity, you know, when that's gone. Um, how should a Christian relate to culture? Um, you know, they're, they're basically, as in all things, are two extremes. You got some Christians that lean more toward assimilation and others that lean toward separation. I and think. Let me guess. Well, I've got a third way. Uh, hey. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> transformation. Transformation. You know, there's not assimilation, not separation, but transformation. And it's hard not to talk about that with thinking about a classic book that's about, I think it's about 75 years old by a guy named H. Richard Niebuhr called Christ and Culture. Um, and basically, he, he, he laid out there's five different general approaches to culture. Um, there is what he called Christ against culture. Think of that as the combative um, approach where basically everything in the world is bad and we need to go hide out in a Christian conclave, listening to only Christian music, reading, using our shepherd's guide. You remember those things with all the Christian businesses in the community <laughs> and doing everything internally and hunker down and wait for Jesus to rapture us out of this trailer park of a planet and destroy it. You know, that's that's kind of Christ against culture culture. And um, I grew up in, you know, at least some environments that would have leaned that way. Um, the other side of it, the opposite was Christ of culture. And that sees history as a general progression that's getting better. Mm -hmm. And um, this is more like liberal Protestantism, especially in the mid 19th century or mid 20th century that kind of saw like, man, it's just getting better and better. And God's in the process. Yeah. Um, if you're into philosophy, like this Hegelian thing where yeah. God is producing out of history, this thing. And so we just need to um, affirm culture and celebrate its progress. And so Christ, he's, he's, he is the ultimate guider of culture. Then there's Christ above culture. And that's kind of a, that starts to get in these sort of like halfway positions between the two where you basically are saying culture is basically good, um, but it, it's got to be perfected. It's, it's going to have some holes in it that we've got to um, add on Christian teaching in, in, into it. Um, after that, he, he did Christ and culture and paradox, um, where that sees, you know, human culture is a good creation, but it's been tainted by sin. And so there's a tension in how we relate to culture. We simultaneously embrace and, and reject certain parts of it. Um, Augustine was big into this, um, Martin Luther, um, Soren Kierkegaard. Um, then there's Christ, the transformer of culture. Um, that's another kind of median thing where, where you're just like, um, we recognize human culture is initially good, been corrupted by the fall, but we, we know that Christ is redeeming all creation. So we can see kind of moments where, where it's like, it's like the kingdom of God begins to rule in an area. Yeah. And generally that's, what's going to happen in the trajectory of human history. And so it's, we see Christ as the transformer of culture. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of John Calvin leaned that way, Augustine, sometimes lean that way others in the in the reform tradition um you know it, it, it's been a helpful i guess scheme to to think about it but it has some it's big weaknesses d.a carson points this out it's big weakness is that it it, it kind of treats all cultures as the same and certainly being in 19th century europe is your your attitude to a culture is different than if you're in um, the killing fields of Cambodia or you know present day South Sudan yep. or you know Soviet Russia, and so you know I, I think what you see is there's the, the first two are definitely wrong the Christ against culture 
and Christ um, of culture, because one is all separation, one's all assimilation. We recognize that human culture is a good thing, and um, there's a common grace, so that whether it's art or music, or there are a lot of things that are done in the image of God, and people are doing them even who aren't saved because they're made in the image of God, and we want we can affirm that, and we can enter into it. Um, but we also recognize because it's tainted by the fall that there will always be a separate um, uh, a separate witness that God's people have to say, this is really, you know, the idea of this is good, but but here's where sin has corrupted it. Let me show you the uh, a better version of that. And so it, it's kind of hard to nail down. Depends on your culture, depends on where you are. But I would say it's, it's if I were going to be as simple as I could, it's neither separation or assimilation. It's we enter into it to transform and to give witness to show through how we conduct ourselves in, in the arts and the marketplace what what Christ-centered, kingdom-principled um, culture looks like. All right, so we're going to do like a buy-to-get-one-free here. I got one more question <laughs> for you. Uh, how can, like, let's just make it even maybe one level more practical. How can we as Christians make an impact in the culture that we find ourselves well, that's in. a great question, man. That's what the whole book of Daniel is about. <laughs> so you got to come back for the series. But it's, I mean, the first thing we saw in Daniel one is that you can't, you can't make a difference unless you're different. So you've got to, you know, it, Daniel didn't seem to have any problems with entering into Babylonian culture. In fact, God told him, God told that generation, Jeremiah 29, that that's what they were supposed to do. There was a group of Israelites that wanted to stay on the sidelines and just refuse it, even at the point of death. And Daniel, um, you know, is is part of that generation that went in and they took on Babylonian names and they, they 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 wore Babylonian clothes and began to do a lot of things in Babylonian culture. But at, at key places, they challenged it wherever it conflicted with the Word of God. Uh, up until that point, almost all of um, almost all of the covenant relationship with God, the what we would think of now as Christianity, it was all in Hebrew culture, Hebrew things. Um, this was the first time, major time in biblical history that you had a demonstration of what faithful Christ-centered living looked like in a in a secular context where you were taking parts of the culture, the good parts, and using them, but then standing in opposition and critiquing those parts that are bad, whether that was injustice toward the poor, Daniel 4, or whether it was um, you know, eating forbidden things for Daniel in, in, in Daniel 1. So it's a great study, but it's I, I think it's, it's a very relevant question because most of us don't work in the church. We work out in our version of Babylon, and we've got to learn how to be um, somebody who uses the good parts of culture but then stands apart from it and critiques it like like Christ did. That's good. Well, thanks, J.D., and, and guys, I'm going to do what I do every week and give you another podcast suggestion, the Ron Edmondson Leadership Podcast. It's practical, actionable tips from real-life stories in leadership and ministry. It's a great podcast. Um, they've covered topics like creating capacity as a leader and how to lead meetings and other good stuff like that. So just look up Ron Edmondson Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. And definitely make sure to follow Pastor JD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if you listen to it and you're like, man, this is really helpful, go ahead and, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen because that just helps it get to other people. Um, and if you enjoyed it, they probably will too. And also, make sure you subscribe. You don't have to think about it, and it'll just pop up in your feed every single week. Well, we're really glad you listened, and we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.